seats. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do the uh, first ten verses here of uh, Colossians 2. And let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, just thankful for the time to be here. Go before this, as always, for your spirit teaches. And uh, for all those classrooms in the back, for all those teachers all volunteering their time, we say thank you for that. And for those that couldn't be here this morning, Lord, we ask that your hand be upon them in all ways. And thank you, Lord, for the time. In your name, amen. All righty. Real quick before we get started, another prayer request here. Uh, I'm going to keep Rochelle Reedy in prayer. I don't think we got a chance to mention uh, Josh and Rochelle had their uh, uh, baby this week, a little baby boy. I shouldn't say little, uh, 11 pounds, 2 ounces. Um, he was two weeks early. 22 inches, yes. He's nearly as tall as I am. Um, <laughs> Grandma and Grandpa, is it Logan? Is that right? Logan, Logan. But uh, keep Rochelle in prayer, uh, battling some uh, blood pressure, her potassium's low, and some swelling in the legs here with this. So uh, some kind of some serious things. So please continue to keep Rochelle in prayer concerning this. But uh, we're very thankful uh, for Logan to be here too. So Colossians chapter two. Now, if you've been with us here for our study through Colossians, you know the main focus has always been it's Christ. That, that's what every message is about. Everything in the book of Colossians is about Christ. It's about Jesus. And this is the same theme you're going to see today. But each lesson takes a little bit different context on it. What we start out today talking about is having a heart like Christ had a heart, but then finishing up with realizing the fullness and completeness we have in Christ. This is what happens, and I see this a lot of times in Christians. Two things that we seem to fail in is, number one, the body of Christ, for the most part, has lost its heart for the world. Now, there's a lot of you that still have that broken heart for the world, but a lot of us as Christians, myself included sometimes, we become very cold and callous to the world. Well, that's the way they want to be, that's their choice, that's the ramifications of it. Or you know what, they chose to live that way, they chose to bring that sin into their life, well, that's just their fault. You know, when we become very cold and callous, and we get a very judgment-type attitude, it reminds me of John and James. You remember in the Gospels when John and James were visiting the towns, and the one town rejected Christ, what was their great response? Let's call fire down from heaven on them. And I see in the body of Christ a heart of almost judgment. Of, you know what, if this is the way the world wants to be, if this is the way the nation wants to go, then let's just bring the wrath of God on it. Boy, guys, that's not what we want. Jesus says you don't know what manner of heart you are. Jesus is the one that was hanging from the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. That doesn't mean we overlook sin. It doesn't mean we sweep it under the rug. But at the same time, too, does our heart break like Christ's heart? Let's look here at the first verse of Colossians 2. For I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for as many as I have not seen my face in the flesh. That word conflict, depending on your translations, some of your Bibles will say... I agonized, uh, struggling. The question comes up, does your heart break for others? I mean, really break. You know, when Lazarus died, and Jesus went there, and Mary and Martha and everybody else was weeping, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Now, why did Jesus weep? 
Most people believe that Jesus wept, not because he was sad at the passing of Lazarus. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus in 10 minutes. Jesus' heart broke because everybody else's heart broke. Now, that's the question. There's this great verse in the New Testament I cling to a lot. You know, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, anytime my phone rings, I don't know what's on the other side of that. Is it somebody calling me to say there's been a tragic accident and a tragic death? That I need to be ready to weep with those who weep? Is it someone on the other line saying, hey, I just heard the greatest news in the world, fill in the blank? That I need to rejoice with those who rejoice. Now, that's tough to do. Some days I want to weep and somebody says, rejoice with me. Other days I'm flying high and I want to rejoice and somebody says, weep with me. That's difficult. The heart of Christ is, whoever you're ministering to or talking to, you want to meet them where they're at. So therefore, if they're weeping, I'm going to weep with you. My heart's going to break for your hurting marriage, your hurting kids, your hurting body. If you're rejoicing over great news, I'm going to put aside my bad news and say, I want to rejoice with you. That's what Christ does. Now, Paul is saying... He agonizes over this. He struggles over this. There's a conflict over this. Why? Because Paul's heart wanted them to go deeper. When Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, lists everything he's been through, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the whippings, the tortures, he ends it with saying, and my daily agony for the church. I will tell you right now, not that old, been through some stuff in life that has been difficult, and some of the greatest pains I have ever felt is when somebody is hurting out here at church. I said, that, that just hurts. I could have everything going perfect at home, everything's great, and I could just think about this marriage that's hurting. I could think about this person that's hurting. I could think about this situation, and my heart just breaks. There's an agony there, and you guys know that feeling. This is what God is trying to say is, does our heart hurt for those that are hurting? And does that hurt drive us to the point of saying, I want to pray for them? I want to encourage them? I want to drop them a card, a call, a letter. That's tough. Because there's times I want to be legalistic. There's times that I don't want to be the grace guy. I want to be the judgment guy. And I've probably shared this with you before. There's times where I've told you before, I want to go hug somebody with one hand and choke them with the other. There's times where I'm so frustrated at people, I want to go over there and just chew them out. How could you do this? How could you make these choices? Sometimes the Lord has called us to do that. There's a righteous anger. But a lot of times it's my flesh. A situation popped up, I remember, a few years ago. Found out about a situation, and I was just ticked. I was just ticked. And the person said, can you come over and talk to this person? Oh, boy, I was going to go over and talk to that person. I was going to go talk to him. And I remember the Lord caught my heart, and he says, what are you going to tell him? I was going to give him two shotgun blasts. That's what I was going to tell him. And I remember calling up Richard and Betsy, because Richard and Betsy have a lot of grace. And I remember saying, can you guys go over and talk to this person? And they did, and it was fruitful, it was graceful, and the Lord used it. Now, my flesh was not fruitful and graceful at that time. And thank the Lord, there was enough a check in the Spirit to say, you're not the person to go talk to them. Haven't you ever been in that type of, and I'll use the word conversation with others, where you feel it getting heated and you feel it getting frustrated, and you feel the Spirit saying, shut up, just be done, but you just keep talking? Sometimes we need to step back and say, you know what, I'm not showing love, I'm not showing grace, I'm not showing mercy, and I need to let this go. Boy, that's hard to do. Sometimes my agonizing, my struggling, my conflict in my heart for people leads to frustration. And I need to say, Lord, you're not frustrated, Adam. You love them. Help me to love them. 
What are we supposed to do? What do we want? What does Paul want? Verse 1. That, excuse me, verse 2. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you're taking notes, there's three things that Paul wants there. First thing he wants them to have is, verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged. Good old King Jamesers, comforted. That word literally means to pull alongside. You're walking down your spiritual path in life. You see somebody hurting in the Lord. You want to comfort them, encourage them. That means you go pull them beside you and say, I'm going to help carry you. I'm going to help you along this path. That's what comfort and encouragement is. I always think of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus obviously was searching for something. He was searching so bad that a grown man of his position in life, of his stature in life, and he was a high up, was willing to climb a tree to catch a glimpse of Christ. Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was missing something, and so therefore Jesus said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to go hang out with you today. That's encouragement. That's comfort. That's you looking at somebody saying, hey, no one's gone over and said hi to that person today at church. I'm going to go over and say hi to them. Even though I've never met them, I don't know them. That's you saying, I see somebody barely holding it together during church, and I'm going to drop them a call this week or a card this week. Or it's you saying, hey, I don't see somebody. I haven't caught this person in a few weeks. I better call them to make sure they're okay. That's going alongside of them, saying, are you okay? Are you doing okay? And this is something that's missing in a church. You know, at Harvest, we're at this very unique stage. We're not the little church of 50 where everybody knows everybody, but we're not the huge church either. We're at this stage where it's kind of awkward if you see somebody like, I think I know him. I think they've been here before. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, they also could have been coming for three years. I'm telling you right now, don't ever let anything hinder you from going over to somebody and saying, hey, we may have met, but I just want to say hi again. My name is James. That's the body of Christ. That's love. You go, Don't ever be afraid to go to somebody who's hurting and saying, hey, can I just pray with you? Is everything okay? That's comforting. That's encouraging. That's going alongside of them. That's what Paul says, I want from the body of Christ. Next one, being knit together in love. Very simply put, God loves you and I love you. Let's knit that together. That's taking the love of God and hopefully the love of the body and knitting them together to make it strong, and to make it solid, to say, you know what, no matter what I'm facing in life, God loves me. Now, he may not like some of my choices. He may not like the situations I'm living in. He may not like some of the decisions I've made. But he loves me. And because he loves me, I want to do what's right. I want to make those changes in my life that I should. And also, it's us as a body of Christ saying, we love you. And we love you enough to come and tell you, hey, we're concerned about you. What you're doing we think is wrong. What you're doing is going to hurt you spiritually. Now you can choose to accept or reject. But God loves you. We love you. And that love is knit together to know that there's always somebody that cares. Now that doesn't mean, oh, they love me no matter what. I'm just going to do what I want. Of course not. That love should hopefully compel you to do what's right. And what's the third one? Full assurance. Now this is a long phrase. Full assurance of understanding, excuse me, full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now that's a mouthful. Let's break this down. What's full assurance mean? 
confidence. Here's the biggest thing I see in the body of Christ, is that if you would look deep into your hearts, or if you and I were talking just one-on-one, do you know you're saved? How many of you would say, I think I am. I hope so. Now, I don't mean to pick on those answers. Part of the purpose of the Bible is to give you full assurance that you know you're saved in Christ Jesus. It, it always concerns me when someone walks away thinking they're saved. I think I'm married. I hope I'm married. You're either married or you're not. Do you have Christ in your life? It's a yes or a no. And here's why it's so important. How many times have we said this out here before? What's your sole purpose in life? Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your sole purpose in life is not to get married, not to have kids, not to be a productive member of society. Your sole member, sole purpose of Christ is to go out there and tell people about Christ. That's why you're here. Here's the thing. You can't tell people about Christ if you don't know if you're in Christ. That's really difficult to do. It's difficult to go up and say, let me tell you about Jesus. I think I know him. You either know him or you know him. Turn, if you will, with me to uh, 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. I hope that we walk out of here today with an assurance of we either know him or if you don't know him that you want to know him. 1 Peter 3. Quick little verse, but it's an important verse. Why sometimes do people not know if they are saved or not? I think the Christian terminology intimidates them. Look at that verse we just read. Full assurance of the mystery of Christ and the wisdom of knowledge of God the Father and Jesus. I don't know what that means. 1 Peter 3.15 is pretty straightforward. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That means set apart God in your heart. Make Him number one. Look at this. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. If someone comes up to you and says, Are you a Christian? Hopefully you can answer without a second's thought, Yes. Why are you a Christian? Can you answer that? No, I mean, I was always raised in the church, and I mean, as a kid, God was always important to me, and whoa, 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 I'm a Christian because I've accepted the fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that. Well, how do I become a Christian? Well, let me give you my pastor's phone number. He would love to talk to you about that. No. Remember what we just talked about, I believe it was last week, that word minister. Every person is a minister. I, I, if you guys, I don't know if you remember me mentioning, I was gone this week uh, a few days. I went down to Indianapolis and, and spent some uh, time with a church down there that we're affiliated with. And uh, I'll mention some more of that later on. But one of their little catchphrases they have, which I think we're going to steal from them, is every member is a minister. When you stop and you think about that, as a minister of Christ, do I know that I'm saved and do I know how to respond to that? Now, I've heard different people say it before, and I don't want to be legalistic on time frames, but I believe it was Greg Laurie was the first one I heard ever say this. Of You should be able to give a brief little testimony in about a minute of how you got saved, what it means to be saved, and what is that doing for your life. See, what I've noticed is there's extremes. There's the one extreme of, yeah, I'm saved, and that's about all they say. Then there's the other extreme of, well, it was a dark and stormy night 22 years ago. And you know... <laughs> 
I'm all for testimonies. I love testimonies. But sometimes when you're waiting in the checkout line at Walmart, they don't have time for the novel. You know what? Every testimony is the same. I remember the first teachings I've ever heard, right after I got saved, every testimony is the same. I was going to hell, Jesus saved me, now I'm going to heaven. That's every testimony. Now your testimony have a few more details, but I was going to hell, I got saved in Christ, now I'm going to heaven. Now, whatever you want to build on that, let the Lord lead. But there should be something where you can give a defense. And if you're at that point saying, okay, James, I can't. Okay, I'll say this. I know I'm saved, but I don't know how to be eloquent. I don't know how to put it into words. This is why, and I don't mean to keep harping on these things, this is why we have those discipleship classes. This is why we have those small groups of the men's study. And the late. This is why Betsy just last week spent a Friday on evangelism. I encourage you, if you're struggling with what to say and how to say it, get a hold of me, Pastor Renee, Pastor Rich. We'll sit down with you and talk to you about it. But I encourage you even more, get involved in one of those small groups that talk about evangelism, that talk about sharing the Lord. See, this is the one thing I notice. You know, I love, I'm so biased, I love the Saturday morning men's Bible study that we do. And we just had one yesterday. Because when you hear these guys, they just talk about so matter of fact. It's just matter of fact to share the gospel. It's just a matter of fact to talk about Jesus. See, that's what we do as Christians. It's just what we do. We tell people about Christ. Why? Because 1 Peter 3.15, we give a defense of the gospel. Now, one other verse with this. Turn, if you will, to Philippians chapter 3. Because here's the next one that comes up. Okay, James, I would love to tell people about the Lord. I want to have that full assurance. I understand all the Christian terminology as you're going to Philippians 3. But my past, my choices, keep my mouth shut over what I've done in the past. How can I go tell somebody about Christ when I fill in the blank? Did this or that? How can I go tell somebody about Christ when in my own life right now I'm doing this or that? Philippians 3, verse 12. This is Paul speaking. Not that I have already obtained, or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Paul comes around and says, I'm not perfect, but I keep moving forward. You all right now have sin in your life. I have sin in my life. Some of your sin is more visible. Some of your sin is less visible. Here's the problem. The more visible sin shuts down your witness. And to be quite honest, many of us are just selfish. I know what I'm doing is wrong, but how many times have you heard us say out here, what could you possibly say after that statement? What, what is one justifiable thing that you can say after that statement to make it okay? If you know what you're doing is wrong, as we went back earlier, knit together in love. God loves you, we love you and change it. Stop it. Easier said than done, you bet. But your witness is based also on your life. And when you have public sin that people know that about you, how are you supposed to tell people about Christ? How are people supposed to hear what you're saying? If you have kids, how are your kids supposed to realize what a real relationship with Jesus is? Because they hear one thing, they hear morality and purity and doing what's right and don't say this and don't do that. But then they see this. Well, what happens if, okay, I'm not doing anything really wrong right now, but 
I made some really bad choices in the past. Look at verse 13. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, means laid hold of, one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You all brought baggage into this church today. Satan wants to remind you of every bad choice you've made in the last year, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. God says forget about it and move on in Christ Jesus. Because what happens is if you focus on the mistakes you've made in the past, how are you supposed to live in the present for Jesus Christ? And I don't care what baggage you brought in, nobody tops Paul. I don't think any of you in your past life went around and killed Christians. I don't think you did. Paul's baggage that he brought is now, I was in charge of martyring Christians for believing in Jesus. And he says, i got to let go of that. You want to talk about somebody, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm not saying this is biblical, my personal opinion. Don't you think Satan plagued Paul with this the rest of his life? Every time he told somebody about Jesus, Paul used to kill that person. Every time he saw the mom and the dad and the beautiful kids and said, what a family in Christ. Paul, 20 years ago, you would have killed them. Don't you think those thoughts went through their mind? See, right now, some of you have made some pretty bad choices in life. Maybe you got kids, maybe you got friends and family, and you want to tell them what the right thing to do is, but you're afraid that the first thing they're going to say is, you? You're telling me what's right? I know you. I know what you did. I know your past. And this is where you have to say, Philippians 3, 13, I'm reaching forward. I'm going forward in Christ. And full assurance, I'm going forward in Christ. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I let go of the past and I move forward. That doesn't mean I gloss over the past. It doesn't mean I ignore the past. I accept the past as part of it, but I realize I am a born-again new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. And I'm not going to let Satan control me by my past actions and choices. I'm forgiven, it's forgotten in God, and I move forward. Whatever spot you're in, I don't know what to say. 1 Peter 3.15 I've made some really bad choices right now. Seek forgiveness and make those changes. I've made some really bad choices in the past. Let go of the past and move forward. That's full assurance. See, the problem is if you focus so much on what's wrong and what you've done wrong, you're never going to have full assurance. You can be forgiven, made pure, and made clean in Christ Jesus. Jump back now, if you will, to Colossians 2. See, we have this full assurance, verse 2, of understanding. See, the more you study God and the more you understand who Jesus is, the more you understand forgiveness. It's a beautiful thing. And as you understand that forgiveness, look at the side effects of this. Verse 3, "...in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." Wow, I don't know how else to say this. The more time I spend with Christ, I just feel smarter. I don't have more head knowledge. I'm not saying I can figure out physics or pre-calculus. But when situations of life come at me, I just feel like, wow, Lord, you're going to give me wisdom on this situation. I used to really struggle. Boy, I used to really struggle 10 years ago when I took over out here of, okay, this person's calling, their life is falling apart. Pastor, what do I do? I don't know what to do. Now I realize I don't have to know what to do. Jesus knows what to do. He'll tell me and I'll tell them. That's wisdom and understanding. I don't know. There's a beauty in realizing I don't know what to do. Part of the reason I went down to Indianapolis is as, as the church is changing and growing out here, Lord, what do you want us to do? So I, I contact this church. I know the pastor down there. 
And I said, hey, can I come down and spend a couple of days with you guys? Attend one of your midweek services and, and see how you do things. So drove down in Indianapolis and went Wednesday night to church down there and got a chance to see how they do stuff and things. And then Thursday, you know, met with the administrative pastor, then met with the youth pastor, then met with the assistant pastor, and, and spent all day in meetings. And I took note after note after note. I went with all these questions. I contacted Nancy and Tony, and I said, hey, what questions do you have? We sought wisdom. And you know what? You know what? Every question I asked them, you know what their response was? Pray and seek God. Now, you know how frustrating that is? <laughs> so finally, by the third meeting with the third pastor, I said, I know you're going to tell me pray and seek God. I got that. Just tell me what you do. But I realized there's wisdom and understanding. Each situation is unique. Each situation is different. So you have to seek God. So you have that unsaved neighbor or coworker. In the last time you did... X, Y, and Z. Fill in the blank. You took them over cookies. You took them over a meal. You befriended them. And great fruit came out of it. Praise the Lord. Now you have an unsaved coworker, friend, whatever, to your right. So you're going to do the same thing. Well, now it doesn't work. Each situation is unique and different. You guys know this if you have more than one kid. Each kid's different. Each situation is different. I can go to that church and say, how do you guys do it? And they can tell me. And you know what? That works for Indianapolis. It doesn't work for Northwest Ohio. I try to tell these pastors sometimes when I meet with them, I said, you, you, you don't get it. I look out my office and I see cornfields and bean fields. You guys look out your office and see Interstate 69. You're surrounded by 500,000 people. And they said, you're right. That's why you have to seek the Lord. Now, there's wisdom, and there's a lot of good wisdom. I got lots of notes. I took a lot of ideas, and it's like, wow, Lord, there's a lot of good wisdom here. But the best wisdom is pray and seek the Lord. And see, this is what happens, because I've been in the position of you guys calling me. What, do I, what should I do? And I know you hate it. Well, you should really pray and seek the Lord. Well, tell us what to do. I am telling you what to do. Pray and seek the Lord. I don't know. Because why? Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's, it's right there. Do you remember growing up as a kid and going to school and you didn't know how to spell a word? Do you remember what the teachers told you? Go look it up in the dictionary. It's the dumbest thing in the entire world. I don't know how to spell it. How am I supposed to look it up in the dictionary? I don't know how to spell it. So, frustrated me so much that when I was in school, I actually got something called the misspeller's dictionary. You ever heard that? You look it up the way you think it's spelled, and then it shows you how to really spell it. Now, that actually didn't really help. Now, I understand what the teachers are trying to do. They wanted us to go look up the world, figure it out, all this other type of stuff. But there's wisdom in that. But sometimes you also need someone to take you by the hand and help you. There is wisdom in me saying, hey, you really need to go fast and pray and seek the Lord over this situation. He'll lead you. There's also wisdom sometimes in sitting down and saying, you know what, this is what I've done in the past. This is what the Lord has done. And I encourage you to give this a try. The whole point, though, is verse 3. It has to come through Jesus. This is why I'm a real big stickler for this. If you're seeking wisdom in situations, don't go to your unsaved friends and family members. They're not seeking the wisdom of God. They're not seeking what's best in the eyes of God. They're just going to respond in the flesh. We need the wisdom of the Lord and what to do. Let's move on here. Verse 4. Why do we need wisdom? Verse 4, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. 
The reason we need wisdom is because there's false teaching all around. Jump, if you will, ahead to verse 8 real quick of the same chapter. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. You need wisdom because there's false teaching all around you. All around you. And sometimes you don't see it. I'm not saying I'm super smart. I'm not saying I got it all figured out. But there's false teaching all around. One of the things that always makes my stomach churn is when someone comes up to me and says, Hey, Pastor, yeah. Hey, I was watching this guy the other day on TV. What do you think of fill in the blank? Don't, don't ask me what I think of people. <laughs> because what happens is it's like, oh. You know, and sometimes I say, oh, you know, that, that guy's not good. Well, why is he not good? Well, there's this and this and this and this. Well, he sure sounds good. Yeah, he sounds real good. He looks real good. Sounds great. But you have to sometimes peel back that layer of the onion. And as you peel back, sometimes it makes you cry. And the truth of the matter is, there's false teaching all over the place. And it seems like this last about year out here at church... There's been so many little, if you will, arrow strikes of Satan, of false teaching. People coming in with these ideas, of, what about this, what about that? It's like, man, no, that's, that's not of the Lord. That's not of God. And Satan is so deceptive. He is so good at false teaching. I mean, it goes back to uh, Eve, Genesis 3. Satan just very subtly, did God really say you shouldn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Did God really say that? Oh, and then he makes you start thinking. How many times have you heard me say, don't think? Problem is when we think, we think too much. We think we got it all figured out. And look at the different ways that we get in trouble. Verse 8, lest anyone cheat you. First off, that word cheat is an amazing word. That word cheat literally means plunder. What it means is you have been given riches of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. You're sitting on a heap of gold, of wisdom. And Satan wants to come steal that riches of wisdom out from underneath you. He wants to plunder the wisdom God has given you. And how does he do it? The first one, philosophy. I took a couple philosophy classes in college. I think I've shared this with you before. And one of the questions that was in philosophy that just totally blew my mind is, uh, and you remember me telling you this story, there's a tree, and then there's a squirrel in the tree. And then you are chasing the squirrel around the tree. And you had to answer this question. Are you going around the squirrel? Are you going around the tree? Is the squirrel chasing you? Or are you chasing the squirrel? And that's philosophy. And you sit there and people just stop and really think about this. And I'm thinking, well, I just shoot the squirrel. You know, I could pick the squirrel up and don't have to chase anything. But that's philosophy. And the thing is, I am not against wisdom. I love books. I love reading. I love reading theology books. I love reading all of it. But there is a danger and letting the words become your God. There's a danger in letting knowledge become your God. I will share this with you. I remember years ago when I first started coming out here, uh, there was a guy and a gal, and there was a guy that um, was probably one of the smartest Christians I've ever met. He had wisdom, but he had no relationship. Lots of philosophy, lots of wisdom. If you had a Bible question, he could answer it. But there was no relationship. 
He got sucked in into that philosophy. And you know what? I see it from other people too. I have no problems if somebody wants to say, hey, I'm going to study this out, I'm going to study that out. Studying is good. But yet, next thing I know, they're studying for the pursuit of knowledge. And next thing you know, Satan starts taking the areas. Well, I'm just studying this area. I just want to know more about fill in the blank. Far East mysticism. Now, is there a danger in that? Am I saying that God is so weak that if we go into that area, the Holy Spirit can't protect us? No, I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, though, is Satan is very subtle. Satan is very subtle about bringing us into areas we shouldn't be, and next thing you know, we're too smart for our own good. Well, I'm just doing this. I'm just studying this. It's the relationship with Jesus Christ that we focus on. Look at the next one. Tradition of men. Now, I've got to be careful about this one. And so I decided when I was teaching through this, I'm just going to be honest. No offense to any denomination. I'm just going to be honest. I grew up in a non-denominational church. So my whole life, I went to a non-denominational church and went to a non-denominational church. I've never been involved in a denomination. So what happens is, every now and then I'll run into somebody in the world and I'll ask them, you know, the subject of God will come up and I'll say, hey, are you a Christian? And the response is, well, I am fill in the blank. Are you a Christian? Well, I'm Lutheran. I'm Catholic. I'm Baptist. I'm Methodist. Now, I'm not here to attack, but what happens is sometimes those traditions of men become a false teaching. And any of you that were maybe raised in, in a certain denomination and you start realizing those traditions of men did not take you further and deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. And those traditions of men kept you from a real relationship with Christ. There's relationship with Christ and then there's religion. And this is what we say a lot out here. We're not into religion. We're into relationship. Religion makes you feel good. Religion gives you that little spiritual pick-me-up. But religion is not a relationship with Christ. If you jump back to Bible times 2,000 years ago, the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought they had it all figured out. Why? Because they were Pharisees and Sadducees. Well, did they know Jesus? Well, no, they were Pharisees and Sadducees. They were the elite of the day. But did they know Jesus? This is why that personal relationship with Jesus Christ is so vital. It is so vital. The traditions of men can grab us. Next one. According to the basic principles of the world. So we've had three areas of false teaching. Philosophy, tradition, and the last one is world. The world is very simple. It's just flesh. I love Jesus, so I can do this. God will still love me. He doesn't care if I go out and get wasted every Friday night. He doesn't care if I'm in this immoral relationship with this woman. He doesn't care if I'm doing this. He doesn't care for that because God just loves me. Yeah, God just loves you. But that love also requires obedience. That's his false teaching. That false teaching of I love the Lord. I've had so many people tell me when they're just backsliding so far and you can just tell their relationship with Christ is not where it's supposed to be. And you go up and you tell, man, I am concerned about you. Oh, don't worry, I still love the Lord. Okay, well, wait a second. If you love the Lord, part of that love for the Lord compels you to say, I want to be obedient. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect and I'm not saying I don't stumble. But there's a difference between saying, I love the Lord, and Lord, I see my shortcomings and faults and my sin. Forgive me of that and help me become a better man in Christ. Also, I love the Lord and I just don't care. That's a false teaching. And see, and this is what happens. These false teachings get us. The philosophy, the thinking, the analyzing, the false teaching of traditional, this is the way we've always done it, and the false teaching of just the flesh. I can be a Christian and still do this or do that. Paul is saying... No. 
Because of verse 4. Not this, I, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you. That's a deception. That's a deception. I remember a guy telling me a story about before he got saved. And we had this mutual friend that we knew. And this mutual friend uh, claimed to be a Christian. Is he a Christian? I don't know. But he claimed to be a Christian. Was there a lot of fruit in his life of being a Christian? No. But this other friend that was telling me the story was not saved. Openly admitted he was not saved. So he'd go to these parties. And as he was at this party, there'd be this mutual friend that after a few drinks, he was starting to get wasted. But start witnessing to everybody. Start telling everybody about Jesus while half drunk, passing out. And this other friend said, you want to know why I'm not a Christian? He goes, that's why I'm not a Christian. Problem is, my unsafe friend lumped us all in the same category. You know, uh, you know, I met a Christian, he was doing this or that. That mutual friend that would get drunk and tell everybody about Christ, he was got caught up into the principles of the world. Now the Lord needs to work on him and, and talk to his heart. What I'm asking you is, I'm not going to have time to finish everything I wanted to finish today, so we're going to stop right here. Because... I tell you guys, there was a lot of grace in the second half of the chapter here. So uh, I'm leaving you on a little bit of uh, toughness here. But what it is, and we'll just do verse 9 real quick. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. See, here's the thing. Completeness, fullness comes through Christ. If you have something in your life right now where you know it's wrong, don't fight God. Completeness and fullness comes from that relationship with Christ. It, it, that's where it comes from. Don't let the false teachings of the world get you. And I tell you, guys, Satan is out there like the sniper looking for that Christian that starts to wander away from the group and he's going to hit you. He's going to hit you with false teaching. He's going to hit you with the traditions of men. He's going to hit you with the world's flesh and lust. That's what he does. The Bible says let's not be ignorant of his devices. Every Bible study, every teaching, including everything we do out here at Harvest, run it through the Holy Spirit and God's Word. Make sure it lines up with Scripture. Number two, traditions of men. Make sure you're basing your walk with Christ not on religion, but on relationship. Don't base it on, well, I do this, so therefore I'm a Christian. You're a Christian because you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is what it is. And lastly, don't get into the world. The world is all over the place. He wants to pull you down in every way possible. We want you to have full assurance that you are saved in Christ and that God loves you. And that we love you too. What I want to do here, as we get ready to close up, is I just want to take a time of prayer. And let's just pray publicly together here, Lord. And let's just seek him on this. Lord, as we just come to you now, Lord, your word says that you want us to have full assurance. If there's somebody here today that does not have that assurance, in the name of Jesus, speak to their heart. Let them know that they are loved by you. Let them know that they can have that relationship with you, that they can know you personally. And all it is, Lord, is show them you love them, you died for their sins, and you've given them entrance into heaven, Lord. 
Lord, if there's somebody here that knows they're saved, but that assurance is not there because of choices in their life, in love, speak through your Holy Spirit to their heart right now on what needs to change. Speak to their heart on what they need to do so that way their witness to their friends, family, kids, co-workers, whoever it is, may be strong. And Lord, lastly, if there's someone here today that has brought a lot of baggage in with them, show them they can be made new in Christ, redeemed, Lord, set straight and right in you. Bind Satan from bringing up the past and help them to focus on the present walk with the Lord and the future that they have in Christ. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We pray in the name of Jesus you would bind all false teaching and the enemy from all things and help us just to go deeper in you. In your name we pray. Amen. Ready, Marvin, come forward here for the final song.